At British Airways, we're recruiting in our ground operations team at London Heathrow. You'll have bags of responsibility as a valued colleague below the wing of our aircraft. Every touchdown and takeoff would not be possible without our brilliant team. So this is your chance to make a real difference and showcase your original skills and talents. New joiners will receive a £1,000 sign-on bonus, along with staff travel benefits from day one. Plus, we offer world-class training and career development opportunities. Bonus terms and conditions apply. Visit ba.com careers and apply now. I'm John Golia. And I'm Greg Fife, And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. We're just two guys who have spent most of their career with the National Transportation Safety Board investigating aircraft disasters and aviation safety issues all over the world. Yep, and this podcast is where we talk about everything from accidents, airplane technology, to the big business of aviation. We live and breathe aviation. My co-host John has been in the aviation business for more than 60 years. He was the first and only airframe and power plant mechanic to get a presidential appointment to the National Transportation Safety Board. And Greg is a former air safety investigator and GOAT team captain for the NTSB. He's investigated everything that flies worldwide since he started his career 40 years ago. And on top of that, he is a living legend of aviation inductee. So between John and myself, we have over 100 years of aviation safety experience. It's time to buckle up because it's going to be wheels up. Let's get this show in the air. Well, hello, my friends. It's uh, good to be with you again for our, this is actually, John, as I recall, I believe now, I don't know what number of podcasts, we're in the 40s now, but we have been putting these podcasts together. This is our one-year anniversary. We're actually just past it. Well, it's our one-year anniversary. We're in our second year. It's awesome that flight safety detectives has made it through its inaugural year, and our following has grown. Listeners have been awesome, uh, giving us lots of feedback and uh, great suggestions and that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to uh, the next year and um, hopefully moving this forward now that uh, hopefully we're, we're finding safe ways to operate in this COVID period. Yeah, we've actually had... Uh trying to sort out the numbers that the podcast service provider gives us. I've seen that that uh, we've had a number one slot for a week in uh, in the UK. We've had a number one podcast in the US a couple of times over the last year. Last week, we were number four in the UK. So uh, we got a lot of listeners. And that's great because, you know, the whole purpose is for us to uh, – to, to pull no punches, we talk about it being black and white. That's uh, really the premise. That's why when you look at our logo, you can see the fact that our logo is black and white because you and I decided that we were going to tell these stories and talk about safety, you know, not with any kind of, you know, color to it. It's going to be black and white. Here it is. And we're going to hold people accountable and, uh, and, and call people out and have calls to action. And in fact, I got an email or we got an email from a listener who gave us a great suggestion about what he would like to hear us uh, dissect as far as accidents. One of the course that he suggested is Korean Air 801, which I was the investigator in charge of. It was a Boeing 747 that crashed in Guam. 
And um, that's a great suggestion. And there's a lot of things to be learned from that where you have an older pilot with a younger pilot. I talk about it, uh, you know, in some fun language, if you will, where, you know, you have a pilot who is basically, uh, you know, the Pac-Man era versus, you know, a Fortnite pilot sitting in the right seat, a young guy, relatively new and experienced, and they're having to work together uh, to fly this airplane. So I think that's a great suggestion. But one of the, the best comments that he made was that he said, I'm not a pilot. I'm just an aviation enthusiast. He's a retired uh, police officer and said that, uh, you know, he's been trying to catch up with all of our podcasts. He just came across the show. So he's been listening to him and he loves hearing the uh, the topics that we talk about. And his his quote is. I like that you guys don't make excuses for anyone. You state the facts and talk about them. And I think that is what is needed. And that's what you and I have decided that we were going to do from day one. And including what our topic is going to be today about calling out our former employer. The fact is, is that, you know, there is no room for coloring of aviation safety. Either you do it or you don't do it. And if you're not going to do it and you're not going to improve it, then you better have a damn good excuse as to why you're not going to do something. Yeah, well, both of us were trained in a different environment, you know, where it, it was just the facts. Sometimes I joke around and, and use the old TV program, Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. But truly, that's what it is. The facts will drive you to the conclusion. But you've got to have good facts. That's a great statement, John. You have to have good facts. <laughs> yes. Yes. That means good investigations, very thorough, very detailed. In order to do that, it also has to be very inclusive. Because when you go to an accident scene, you bring in uh, subject matter experts, whether they're from the, the operator that crashed, the manufacturers, uh, they often, or almost always, in fact, I don't even know when. They, I don't know an example where the manufacturers don't send a representative uh, there. They've got the knowledge, they can, and they have the resources behind them to get all the all the knowledge needed to drive any concerns to ground, so that you understand them. But you and I have talked about this on a previous show, and that is because of COVID, the manufacturers, the way they're doing business with regard to participating in NTSB investigations, or for that matter, investigations around the world, is changed 180 degrees. A lot of the manufacturers now have disbanded or abolished their air safety departments because of financial issues and the fact that they can't support it. And the board depends on that kind of level of expertise. Unfortunately, now that level of expertise isn't there. You know, everybody thinks that, that the board knows all. In fact, some people at the board think they know that the board <laughs> knows all. Yeah. But really, they don't. A, a good investigator for the NTSB manages an accident site and manages the information that's available. We have a lot of good investigators that do that. However, if the very first, the basic thing is you have to go to the accident site to get that, those facts. And I know that you have received emails. I am not only receiving emails, but I'm I'm dealing with it real time in the work that I'm doing out there, accident investigation wise. And 
it, it's getting worse, John, and and I know that we're going to talk about that. That's going to be the premise of the show today. But uh, I know that you've gotten a couple of good emails as well. Well, I, I've gotten uh, another one that will touch upon you, which is the uh, Roselawn crash. We had somebody write in and uh, wants to hear our, our take on the Roselawn crash. So that's good because that you were the IIC on that one. And I remember that one very well because I had just come to the board and I had, I had gotten deeply involved with that because I was new to the board and, and I was digging in on everything. I was like a, a sponge trying to soak everything up that happened around me. That's a great accident for us to, to put towards the top of the queue. Given the time of year, we're in fall moving into uh, winter, and that's a winter ops accident um, involving super cool drizzle droplets or freezing rain, freezing drizzle, which while the airlines and the aircraft that they're flying at that level have a different tolerance, general aviation airplanes have no tolerance to super cool drizzle droplets, freezing rain, freezing drizzle. You get that on your airplane, it builds up fast. You're coming out of the sky like a brick. Yes. I had a, a conversation with somebody. I got a phone call, and it, there was two subjects on it. And the first one was, was a question about when we do the airline accidents as compared to the GA accidents. And he was questioning whether what's the benefit to the GA person. And I went on to explain to him that, you know what, many of the airline accidents that occur are the same kinds of phenomenon or mistakes that are made by GA pilots. They just get more publicity because it was a, a commercial operator. But like you said, icing conditions, you know, poor decision-making, poor briefings if it's a two-pilot operation, pilots speaking out. You know, I was here at Hanscom Field in Boston when that Gulfstream crashed. And here we have first officer who didn't speak up to the captain when he was breaking every rules in a book, you know, turning the hydraulic pumps off so he didn't have to abort his takeoff and try to get the guts locked off. And uh, and he, and that first officer wasn't alone because while it was still burning, the wreckage was still burning out there, in the FBO, one of the FBOs at the airport, I had pilots, contract pilots, they worked for, for anybody. They knew that pilot, they knew that operation, and they refused to fly with him. So when he put a call out for a, a first officer to fly with him, they wouldn't take the job because they knew that he didn't do the checklist. And you know, and in that case, we know that he didn't do the checklist, something like 173 out of the previous 175 flights, something like that. But anyway, uh, those are all commercial accidents that spill over and have the same types of issues that affect the general aviation pilot. Absolutely, because it, it is all about decision-making. And one of the things that I preach all the time, both in public when I'm doing my safety presentations, but also when I'm writing expert reports talking about the decisions that pilots made, and that is based on information, a lot of pilots do not take the same pieces of information and use them. They selectively filter it based on their own previous or current experience, skills, abilities, knowledge, and experience. And you and I can be sitting in the same room, get the same information from a flight instructor on how to fly this airplane. 
but how we incorporate that information into you know, our own operation is purely based on the experience that we have, the skills, abilities, and knowledge that we will apply that information to in the operation of an airplane. And again, when you look at winter ops, yes, you know, you get a A320 pilot who says that, uh, you know, he reports as a pirate, light rhyme ice. Well, light rhyme ice to a general aviation pilot is not light rhyme ice. Light rhyme ice on an A320 is probably cause for real concern in a 172, if not death. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And the other half of the phone call that I got dealt with something that we haven't talked about. And he raised the issue about reconsiderations. And we haven't mentioned reconsiderations to accident reports at all. So I put that on the list as well. And we probably get into that sooner rather than later. That was a pet peeve of mine. I've got, uh, I've got some scars on my body because I had more than one discussion inside the uh, NTSB while I was there over reconsiderations and how they were handled. And, and what you're talking about, John, and I'm sorry, but what you're talking about is reconsiderations of probable cause. That is, when the board finalizes a report, they publish a probable cause, and folks do not agree with that probable cause. There is a method by which individuals or organizations can file a reconsideration of probable cause with the NTSB by providing new information or information that may not have been considered by the board in its deliberation of the determination of probable cause. And, and so you bring up a good point because I remember you, you know, going into battle all the time because, you know, there is a high level of logic that has to go into this. And you and I have been critical of uh, the quality of the reports of late. And again, we're going to talk about it again today. And that is that where you have a bad quality investigation. It's not thorough. It's not methodical. And as you said, if we don't have good facts, then you won't have a good probable cause. That always forms the basis for a reconsideration of probable cause. And, uh, and, and you bring up a, a great point. And the fact is, is that, you know, you're getting a lot of information or at least letters. I am too, where people organizations just don't agree with the board because the board didn't go out and do a thorough and methodical investigation. Yeah, unfortunately, that seems to be the norm today. I'm sick to think about the direction that the NTSB has been going in the recent past. Well, the, the excuse that they're using, and again, we, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse because we've talked about it periodically on, on other shows, but I think it's gotten a critical mass now, John. You know, we talked about it on a show a week or two ago where there were a multiple of fatal general aviation accidents and the safety board did not respond. And in some cases, the FAA didn't go out. They're stacking up these wreckages. And I found out from various sources that around the country, there are at least 50 that I know of aircraft accidents that have happened since the beginning of the year that the NTSB didn't go out. In some cases, the FAA didn't go out. The edict was for the local law enforcement folks to take a lot of pictures and collect, quote, evidence and send it to the NTSB. And the salvage company would go out, pick up the wreckage. And now these airplanes that have not been examined at the accident site 
in their pristine condition as far as you know accident preservation they have now been dismantled manhandled put up on a trailer taken off a trailer cut up in pieces and are now being stored at these storage facilities you cannot do a thorough and methodical investigation after all of this has taken place you can't you can't determine flight control continuity. You can't determine whether or not there are critical issues with the structure of the airplane because trying to differentiate damage that was incurred from wreckage removal versus the accident itself is impossible. It truly is. And I know guys that say, ah, you can tell. In some cases, you can but the majority of the cases you can't. And I'm telling you, the NTSB investigators that I'm dealing with and the reports that I've seen, they don't have the skills to be able to do that even on the best day. You know what? That's going to lead to even more reconsiderations. Absolutely. I'm working on two of them right now. Yeah, it's just uh, it's sickening. When I went after the reconsiderations, I, I started with me asking a simple question. How many reconsiderations do we have in the queue? Wow. Did I start? It's like I kicked over the can of worms. And uh, I got visits from the general counsel wanting to know what I was doing. Why was I raising that issue? And, of course, that was the wrong thing to say to me. And uh, we dug into it. And, and as a result of what was discovered... And I, I made it uh, up to the board, so all the board members got to see it. Staff had to tell all the board members. It resulted in a one of the investigators getting the assignment full-time of addressing those reconsiderations. But he didn't stay there. I don't think he finished the job. I think he got reassigned after, after I left. And it's probably been building up like crazy since then. Either that or they just give him the standard answer. You know, thanks for your interest in aviation safety, but, you know, you didn't present anything new. Sorry. You and I have both seen that, and we've seen that now in our afterlife with clients and that kind of stuff. And I recall back in 2014-ish, USA Today did an article about the NTSB and the fact that they they said quote, NTSB probes are skimpy for small aircraft crashes. And again, you and I have talked about this. The safety board is air carrier or commercial aviation centric. They send out a team. They, you know, they put out a, a cast of characters out there to investigate a variety of different specific subject matter disciplines. But when it comes to general aviation, it tends to be the bastard child. Yeah, just scrape up the mess. We'll get to it when we get to it. We'll figure it out. And oh, by the way, of course, it's pilot lost control for unknown reasons. Pilot failed to maintain airspeed. You know, 10 years we've had without a major aviation accident in the United States. You know, what has all that staff been doing? John, the number of accidents has gone down. The total number of accidents that the board investigates is going down. That's that's not Greg Vice saying it. That's not John Golia saying it. That's statistics that are saying it. They're on a downward trend. The board has a bigger budget. The board has more investigators. And I heard recently 
somebody talking about the fact that, well, maybe the board's overworked. They don't have enough resources. They got more resources than they know what to do with. You got a bunch of investigators sitting at home, not going out on accidents. What are they doing? What are they doing? We already have a backlog of accidents that extend well beyond their, quote, 12 to 18 months that the chairman and that the board over the past several years has said that they were going to use as a target. Somebody did a statistical summary of this at the beginning of this year and said the average is still 22 months. And at the end of that 22 months, John, the quality of the report is worthless. They don't put in all the facts. They don't put in all the circumstances. And their probable causes are one-liner. Pilot failed to maintain airspeed. Really? You didn't need to leave the office to figure that out. The question is why? What were the what were those underlying factors? That's what you work on, right? You got to work on those to prevent it. It is frustrating, very frustrating. And it, and the sad thing is, is that the aviation industry uses information from the FAA and especially the NTSB. They use that information for statistical analysis and trying to determine, you know, loss of cause or loss of control accidents and the causes. Well, like you said, going back to it, if you don't have good facts, you don't have a good probable cause. Garbage in, garbage out. And and I don't rely on NTSB information. I read the report to get, you know, certain pieces of information. But I can't rely on uh, on their probable cause. I mean, right now, I'm working several accidents involving flight instructors, yet the board wants to blame the pilot. Well, the pilot in these cases should have been the, you know, the pilot in command should have been the flight instructor. We used to do that, especially when I was there. All the accidents where we had a training environment and the flight instructor failed to take timely or corrective action, that flight instructor was named. Now they just say the pilot. Well, who the hell is that? Who's the pilot? (laughs) You know, the pilot in command is the flight instructor. If they're doing flight instruction, you know, should have taken corrective action to prevent the accident. You can't trust bad data and you sure as hell can't draw conclusions that a lot of industry folks, including the insurance companies depend on to determine what are, you know, where are these issue areas that we need to work on, whether it's better training or, or whatever? Where are these risks and how do we mitigate these risks so that we can keep the cost of general aviation down? You know, you raise, you raise an excellent point there, and especially since Avemco is a new sponsor for ours. But in order to set the insurance rate, the insurance companies need to have that data. And if that data is not good, if the accident reports are not good, if we're not if we're not improving the quality of the pilots that are flying, all the equipment they're flying, then it's going to be reflected in the rates that we have to pay, and very easily could price us right out of flying. We've seen the insurance rates climb like crazy in the not too distant past. I didn't look at them recently, but I'm I bet they still are, are up there because of past sins, so to speak. So it's it's uh, really the NTSB really needs to do a better job in GA, not a lesser job. You know, I keep thinking back. You know, I've I've been a an NTSB watcher since it was born in 1967, 
And in fact, a very, very good friend of mine was chairman and a member in the middle 70s. And because of that, I was very uh, conscious of the fact when Jim Hall was nominated, he was pretty well criticized of having no experience coming into the job. Yeah, he was just in a, a real estate attorney or whatever kind of attorney he was. And what does he know about transportation? Right. But I, after having served under Jim Hall and then served under others after him, I can make a strong case that he was one of the best chairman the NTSB has ever had. And I, and I can tell you from sitting in meetings with board member meetings that, that, uh, that we had, both that were open to the public, those when we had them one-on-one, he would not have put up with what we're seeing today. He absolutely would not have done it. He would have been all over staff for what's going on. And even, even with the fact that uh, this administration had deemed the NTSB to be non-essential, I served during one period of time the budget crunch, and it came down that we were going to be non-essential, and that prompted an immediate call from Jim Hall uh, to the White House and a short time afterwards, we were determined to be essential, meaning we would be able to go out and conduct our accident investigations. And it's just crazy what's going on today. It's crazy. Well, I worked during those periods. I remember when you know the government was going to shut down because they ran out of money, but we were determined to be essential because of you know air safety issues. I was all over the world traveling, you know, and working on accidents. I wasn't getting a paycheck. But because our mission was essential to determining whether or not we had problems with either the air carrier or the aircraft or whatever, we had to be there. And again, every investigator at the NTSB for the past 20 plus years has been trained in biohazards. They understand the biohazards. And the board is using an excuse right now of COVID. We don't want to put our, I mean, there was just a, an article in one of the, the aviation publications on, in, in AvWeb where they interviewed or at least got statements from the chairman and the vice chairman that they want to protect the staff and the people and everything else. That's bull. The fact is, is that there are ways they are trained in biohazard. They can protect themselves. They can protect others. They know that because they've had formalized training. They get recurrent training. And in fact, they know how to take it to a higher level than just the general run-of-the-mill public who wears a mask and washes their hands. And I don't understand why the chairman isn't up there saying we are an essential agency. We're essential for not only aviation safety, but transportation safety. And our guys are going to travel. They are going to do their job. And the only way to do a thorough and methodical investigation is to go to the accident site. It's just crazy. I don't understand why they got themselves in this position. Well, I just think it's a, a convenient excuse not to do their job. I mean, they were already backlogged. A lot of accidents well before COVID. This is going to put us behind years the fact that they have all of these accidents that they have yet to even examine the wreckage, which tells me that they are not going out and getting all the information. They've already lost all the good witness information. You can't go back and make phone calls or even travel and go visit witnesses and get reliable statements. They're depending on others. And I know what they're doing. They're depending on local law enforcement to track these people down, get a statement and mail it to them. 
And you can't do acts investigation like that. You just can't. And it's a it's truly a disservice because they they are not providing all the information that is necessary to determine any safety critical issues that have an adverse effect, whether it's on pilots, pilot training, the aviation community as a whole, manufacturers, regulators such as the FAA. It's a it's just ridiculous. You cannot do acts investigation that way. And in fact, if you're going to do that, then we don't need an NTSB anymore. Yeah, I wonder where AOPA is in all of this. I'm I'm disappointed that we're not hearing any cries coming out of that organization. Well, I think they got pacified because they did supposedly have a meeting with the NTSB in February regarding the fact that it takes so long to do these investigations and publish the results and that kind of stuff. I think they got pacified myself. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make it a point of getting back to our twelve to eighteen month window. Well, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. And it's obvious now with all of these airplane accidents that have occurred and the board not showing up. And in fact, they put the caveat out on the NTSB website that, yeah, we're investigating this five fatal accident, but we're not traveling because of COVID. (laughs) That is just a, a sad state of affairs. They are an organization that is responsible for transportation safety. You cannot promote and enhance transportation safety if you aren't willing to go out there and collect all of the information necessary to determine the deficiencies, either isolated or systemic, that resulted in you know, a catastrophic event. And you sure can't do it from your home because that's where the majority of these investigators are working from, including supervisors. You can't do this from your home. You can't do it via Zoom. You can't do it via telephone. You got to be there. And if my clients are paying me to be there and I can go there and do things safely, then why can't the board? Because you're using the skills that you had, the training. I mean, every year we had recurrent training. And in fact, the whole process of hazardous work sites, bloodborne pathogens, all the rest of it, the, the government training was heads and shoulders above what everybody else got, and probably heads and shoulders above what most hospital workers get. It's just, just crazy. I, I mean, it's so disappointing. What's even worse, John, is that the NTSB calls the FAA and says, hey, go out to the accident site and and collect this data, take pictures and everything. If the FAA can go out to an accident site on behalf of the NTSB, why can't the NTSB? I mean, the FAA can travel. They're exercising safe protocols. If they can do it and they're a federal agency, why can't the board? And they get hazardous training too. Yeah. The same one. I mean, if pe- if people could see what we go through in the training, all right, the gear that we have to put on, have to understand the mixes, you know, the Clorox, how much Clorox to add to, to put in your boots and, not, and to wipe your clothes down, the proper way to remove gloves, the proper way to remove your biohazard suits, the proper use of masks, the list goes on and on and on. And you go through with this in great detail, and a year later you go through it in great detail again. And here we have it now where they're not going out. That's a great point about the, the FAA can go out, but they can't. That is just, that's, that's, un, there's no excuse for that. 
you're going to expose somebody. Why not expose the person who's supposed to be doing the job? And I just don't, I mean, <laughs> how is it that the FAA in their safety mandate is essential, but the NTSB safety mandate isn't equal to or greater than the FAA? I, I just, because there are airplane accidents that are occurring out there where if there is, in fact, a problem, a systemic problem, or a potential for a systemic problem with an aircraft, how are we ever going to know it in a timely manner? Because general aviation isn't grounded. There are pilots flying every day. And if they're flying an airplane that has a potential for a problem, and that problem recurs again and again, while the board isn't going out investigating it, now we're killing more people because we weren't able to identify that safety issue in a timely manner. In fact, you just thought, you just reminded me of an issue that I just picked up hanging around at the airport with a tail dragger, which is what I learned to fly on. So I'm, I'm always interested in those airplanes a little more than just any other airplane. And I saw a pilot. I mean, I was taught you taxi tail draggers, you make sure that you keep the tail on the ground and you steer with the rudder but you always keep enough force on the control column to keep the tail on the ground. I watched a guy taxi, and not too slowly, he immediately picks up the tail, and he's taxiing on two wheels, and he's moving moving right along. And he he actually was good at it, all right, so tells me that he's been doing that for a while, but boy, that's high risk. One gust of wind when you're on on uh, two wheels like that, and you're going to end up ground looping the airplane. Or if you have another aircraft that pulls off a taxiway in front of you, you jam on the brakes, guess what? You're going over. Yep. It's little things like that. It is just, and, and you brought up a good point. Where is the advocacy for, you know, AOPA screaming? Their Air Safety Foundation, one of the board members, is a former, you know, Air Safety Foundation executive. Why they got general aviation background? Why aren't they screaming about the fact that their own agency isn't doing their own methodical investigations? And I'll challenge them any day of the week. I've got more accidents than I can shake a stick at where the quality of the investigation is is just I mean, it's just bad. And the probable causes that they came up with are not supported by the facts. And in fact, there have been a number of articles where uh, they talk about that, where the board comes up with a probable cause, yet the information in the report doesn't support that probable cause, which would lead one who's educated in acts investigation, like you and I and others, to believe that maybe they reverse engineered. They came up with the bottom line and then tried to find the facts to support it. Actually, you, you raise a good point, and, and uh, just just earlier this week, I have been in contact with some family members on an earlier accident that they disagree with the probable cause and they actually have some pretty strong information and uh, I, I'm waiting to get the documents I was going to send them to you and I, I think that that would make an excellent show and I was going to try to get one or two of the family members to come on and, and talk about their experience because they're not happy about what they saw the NTSB doing but Aside from that, you know, that's sometimes that's just a personal opinion. And and we've learned to discount personal opinion. But they brought, there's a ton of facts that they have with it, too. I certainly want to see all the material. I just see the summary of it. 
I want to see all that material because it sounds like that they have a, a strong basis for reconsideration. Well, that's, you know, and John, I mean, that's the environment that, you know, every acts investigator works in being objective, but you got to collect all this information, see where this information, once it's vetted as fact, where it fits into the big picture in the sequence of events. And, and again, you cannot collect that a year or two years or even three years after the fact. You can't just leave an accident investigation on the shelf, you know, and then think you can come back to it and pick up, you know, three years later. Witness information changes all the time. And in this case, where they've removed the wreckage from the accident site, the accident site has a lot of evidence. It changes. Trees grow up. Bushes burn down. I mean, you lose all of that good physical evidence. You can't recreate it in a picture sure doesn't capture it. You have to be there. I know a number of accidents, John, where, you know, the airplane has hit the ground. It's, you know, the ground is, was real dry. The airplane hit hard, breached the wing. All the fuel drained out, was absorbed into the ground. You don't have a, quote, fuel stain in a, in a dirt field. You may have some telltale smell of it if you know what you're smelling as far as uh, aviation fuel. First responders go out there. And, and pour water or foam on it, you've just destroyed all that good evidence. And unless you dig down with a little shovel because that, that fuel seeps into the ground, you got to dig down six inches. And all the next thing you know, you're digging up wet dirt that smells like aviation gas. How are you going to do that a year later? How are you going to do that a week later? Yeah, good rainstorm will take care of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the critical aspects of all this volatile evidence that you have to get it while it's good because it's not going to be good forever. And, you know, there's a number of accidents where you and I, we've been there, we've done that. And it's just, I just, again, I cannot reiterate that, you know, and, and it's funny, <laughs> you know, reiterate the fact that this is a disservice to families and to the industry as a whole. It's funny because, you know, in getting ready for this podcast, you know, I was going through, you know, the Internet and everything else and reading some of the articles and uh, other information that's out there, including testimony up on the Hill by the then chairman, Chris Hart. It is just unbelievable that, you know, hey, we're on call. I'll, I'll read something to you because you'll find this quite entertaining. In 2015, the chairman up on the Hill was providing a statement um, to the Aviation Subcommittee on FAA's reauthorization. And in his prepared remarks, he said that the board has been around and they've investigated, you know, well over 150,000 accidents. He said the NTSB is on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. NTSB investigators travel throughout the country and internationally to investigate significant accidents and develop factual records and safety recommendations with one aim, to ensure that such accidents never happen again. How do you fulfill that mandate if you don't go? You know, they put a little asterisk on 2020 and say, no information available. <laughs> I mean, it, 
it is, I just don't understand it. And, and along these same lines, you and I talked about this. This is before we started the podcast. But last year, the NTSB went to Alaska. The chairman went up there and they convened this big roundtable discussion in Alaska, operators up in Alaska with, quote, aviation experts had this big roundtable discussion that was moderated by the chairman. And for hours, this discussion went on about why Alaska was having so many accidents. They had a number of high profile accidents that killed prominent folks, including congressmen and and those kinds of folks, the fact that they do have a lot of accidents up there. And the board went up there, spent a lot of money, took a lot of staff, and had this big roundtable. And everybody chimed in about safety management systems, and that was the answer, and, and that was you know for all these operators. Well, again, that's commercial air carrier-centric. What about the guy who uses his Cessna 170 to haul fruits, vegetables, cleaning supplies, living things that he needs or she needs to live on out in the wilderness because that's where their house is that are crashing? So they go on and they spend this money and, and they identify supposedly all these issues, and bring to light, you know, how many people have died. And it was interesting because at the very end of that particular roundtable, the chairman at the time, Chairman Sumwald, who is still the chairman now, said this. The NTSB plans to take what it learned from the meeting and propose actionable items that can truly help move the safety needle in Alaska. The worst thing would be to bring all these resources together and at the end of the day, everyone walk out and say, wow, that was great, and have nothing happen. It has been well over a year and nothing has happened. And you can't use COVID as an excuse. You know, I've gotten a call, actually more than a call, from folks in Alaska, because I had given some presentations up there a few years ago. And, you know, they have this uh, medallion foundation up there. And uh, there's some people complaining about it, that they're not doing the inspection they're supposed to. And they got this, uh, they have some status within the FAA that drive these safety programs. And there's folks saying that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. In the meantime, they're getting all kinds of consideration, including, I think, insurance consideration for the work that they're doing. We made, I put that on the list to take a look at that. The work of aviation safety doesn't stop just because we have a pandemic or we have a government shutdown. Those are, you know, the excuses we use for people not going to the office. But you can't stop the work. That's right. They can stay home and so they don't get at risk in the office environment. But they certainly can go out and do a crash site where they bring all the biohazard gears with them and they take all the precautions. And they still need to write reports. They still need to identify safety critical issues that will benefit the aviation community. You don't just sit for six months and go, well, we're not going to worry about it until we can technically go back to work. You've been working or technically you should be working at home. 
And you can identify a safety critical issue, whether you're in an office or your home office. It does not matter. But you got to do your job. You got to write the reports. You got to get the information out so that it benefits the aviation community because it does nobody any good for it to be sitting in a file folder somewhere or in our particular instance, an electronic file folder on someone's computer. You know, I'd love to do an FOIA request on how many reconsiderations they have outstanding. I bet that would be interesting. It took them months, two months to answer that question when I was there. I would be willing and I would love to have somebody provide numbers. I'd be willing to to bet that it's probably more than 100. Well, at that time, and that was uh, almost about 20 years ago, it was uh, uh, over 600. Well, I'll say 100. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But like you said earlier, John, if we don't have the quality of investigation, that's just going to form the basis for more reconsiderations of probable cause. Yep. It's a shame. I mean, it really is. I'm so disappointed. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that the general aviation population is not benefiting from information that is derived from these accidents. It is unfortunate that pilots, male, female, does not matter. The fact is, is that we are not benefiting from the investigation of these accidents to identify things that could help improve pilot training, pilot operation, weather reporting, weather understanding, airspace understanding, mid-air collision avoidance. And if there's any issues with airplanes, we're not getting the benefit of any of that. I mean, the board puts out these safety alerts, but unless you know where to look for them or you happen to be an aviation enthusiast and it comes across, you know, in some other document, that information isn't well known. The community isn't learning from it. And again, people read reports and magazines do stories on accidents based on these reports. Well, if the report is wrong or worthless, then the the article (laughs) is going to be worthless or it's going to be critical of the fact that NTSB investigations are skimpy. Uh, It's a shame. It's it's, It's very painful for me to talk about the agency like this because I really loved the NTSB. I loved the work that they did. Look, I still bleed NTSB. Trust me. I mean, that's why I'm so critical because, you know, I grew up in the agency and I saw the quality of work and the quality of people that did that work. And we've gotten away from it. And I dare to say that if you were to go in and and interview all the employees of the NTSB and ask them what the mission statement is, you're going to get 400 different answers. We'll have to... uh continue this conversation at a, at a later date, get some more data and, and analyze what, they're, what they did and what they didn't do. I think, John, between you and me, we got to reach out to some of our FAA folks, past, present, and possibly future, but past and present, <laughs> and let's get their perspective. Given the fact that now they're taking on a new burden because the NTSB doesn't respond, I know for the guys that are friends of mine who are inspectors, they have oversight and enforcement responsibility. They see accident investigation as a burden because they don't have time to do it. They've got their primary responsibilities. So the time that they do give to an accident investigation because they have to is very minimal. They do whatever it takes to get whatever available information 
get the accident site basically cleaned up, and they're gone. They mail that stuff to the NTSB, and they get back to their regular job. Right. Therein lies a big problem. Because it's an additional duty, their other work doesn't go away. So they just want to get through it, get it, get it off their desk, and go back to their regular workload. Yeah. And all of these little things have an adverse effect on general aviation. And I think that for, you know, sponsors like Avemco that we have, and even PAMA, who, you know, they, they represent the maintenance side of the house. If there are maintenance issues that people can learn from and they aren't being identified, then how do we really benefit general aviation or aviation as a whole? Well, that's a pet peeve of mine because they just... You know, I, I think I've said it on the last couple of shows. All these accident investigations, when there's a maintenance item, they take it up to the hangar door and say, yep, it was maintenance, and that's where they end it. Where if there was a problem with the flight deck, it goes, we've got psychologists, we've got all kinds of people that analyze it down to, down to a net. And uh, we get all this data, but if it's a mechanic that screws up, then... Uh, it's just, yep, it's maintenance, and forget about it. And it never gets addressed. It never sees uh, anywhere near the resources thrown at it that it needs to, to be resolved. And it's, it's really a shame, especially on the, on the bigger airplane side today. You know, the systems that are so complicated, and that is filtering down now into, into corporate. It's well entrenched in the corporate size aircraft. And now it's moving down into the larger size general aviation airplanes with glass cockpits and all kinds of sensors in there to try to make that they're flying safer but the amount of training that's been provided to the people that have to repair it has not kept pace yeah and the pilots that have to fly you look at you know the piper m600 it's got a g3000 uh, avionics suite. Now they have their halo system, which is an auto land system that's going to have auto throttle. And basically the airplane can land itself just like any airliner out there in the case of emergency. My concern with systems like that, while they are great tools, kind of like the parachute on airplanes, the problem is now you're going to get pilots who don't have the skills, abilities, and knowledge use that as a crutch. They're going to put themselves in a position of jeopardy and figure if they push the little blue button, you know, the airplane's going to save them. And we've seen that that doesn't work with parachutes. Why? Because the pilots, you know, they get headlocked. They get into a high-stress, high-anxiety situation. The airplane isn't in the proper position. Um, either they don't pull the chute, or if they do pull the chute, it's either too late, or the airplane isn't in a position for the chute to, to operate properly. And I, I love all of the automation. I love the tools. But again, we send airline pilots to school when they're learning a new aircraft or transitioning to a new aircraft, you know, four to six weeks. We send an aviation, a general aviation pilot to school, zero, unless the pilot himself or herself has, you know, has bought the package with the airplane to go to training. They don't go. And that's only for the initial purchase. Yeah. Now I sell my airplane to you. You don't have that training package. I may sit in the airplane and try and talk you through it all, but you're learning on the fly. And again, that's where the insurance companies play an important part because they set the requirements 
for, yeah, we'll insure you, but you have to go to a formal training program. You have to have 50 or 100 hours of mentor flying. That is flying with someone who is qualified on the airplane till you build up that experience. That's the stopgap. But again, a lot of people that I've been dealing with recently shortcut the system. And you know, we just saw that in an accident we discussed a couple of podcasts ago with the guy that took off from Texas on the way to Michigan, I think it was, with his wife and one kid on board. And they was going up to visit his daughter with some event at school. He had fuel issues going into Detroit. I think it was Detroit. Wasn't it in Detroit and Michigan? Yeah. But in any event. These are the kinds of things that, again, the community has to come together. And I think the alphabet groups that represent the general aviation community have to really pound their fist and demand the fact that, hey, you have a responsibility as the NTSB to do these investigations because we are trying to enhance safety. We are trying to work together. But if we don't have the information, we don't understand the issues, then we can't work together to enhance safety. Well, with that, my friend, that's a good final word. Our almost final word. Well, I think the the big thing, John, is that one, I believe that when we talk about issues like this and and we point the fingers and, and we try to put out these calls to action, they are not just frivolous. They are not based on just, you know, you and me. And trust me, I will make this statement over and over and over again. <laughs> I am not a disgruntled ex-employee. I'm a guy just like you who sees the issues of, you know, the deficiencies in the investigation process, the information and the lack of benefit to the aviation community as a whole. And all we want to do is see those authorities, those investigative authorities, those organizations, those people that are responsible and have the ability because of their authority to conduct these investigations, do your job so that we can all learn from good information, good facts, not something that you just went out there and scraped up enough information to show that you did your job because that doesn't benefit anybody. And I appreciate the fact that we get feedback all the time through our email, which is flight safety detectives with an S at gmail.com. We get this feedback. People appreciate it. Just like one of our listeners, Ken, who said, you know, hey, the fact that you call people out, we're not doing it just to do it. We're doing it to enhance aviation safety because that's where we live. And you can't enhance anything unless you have good, solid information. And I appreciate the fact that you and I have a venue now, a medium for us to be able to talk about it. Yeah, I guarantee there are going to be people that are <laughs> that are going to you know disagree with what you and I are saying, but they aren't out there. They really aren't. They think they are. They say they are. They aren't. Not in any way, shape, or form. And I think that the relationships that you and I have built amongst both federal and private industry, we get that feedback. So we're speaking from a different position than anybody that right now works for the government. Yes, I agree. Well, we need to thank Avemco for sponsoring the program and PAMA for sponsoring and all of our patron sponsors that contribute every week to 
the cost to keep this show going is? Yeah, we just got a new patron that gave us $15, and we appreciate that. That the, all of these contributions go to paying for all the people that produce this show after John and I shoot off our mouth for an hour or so. Yes. So at this point in time, I will just ask everybody to please stay safe in their personal life and to fly safe. And Greg, you can have the last word. Well, John, as I said, it's always good to talk to you because uh, I think we at least bring a different perspective. And again, we, we appreciate people that you know may not agree with us or, or give us other ideas or at least perspectives and points of view. We appreciate that because it makes us all better. And I think that by us talking about it all the time, hopefully we are doing a service and not a disservice to the community. And we appreciate our listeners who support us, who give us that encouragement to keep going, to keep talking about things and keep doing things. And so uh, I know that, you know, safety is in both of our vocabularies on a daily basis. And so for my final word, it is, if you are going to fly, fly safe. To listen to more episodes of the show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association at PAMA.org and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Catch us next time when John Golia and Greg Fife talk about all things aviation. Thanks for listening.